Hey, and good morning. Today we're talking through the spin cycle. The spin cycle is a term that we use to define the process that the Apostle Peter gave us in his letter to the epistles. He was trying to define when he put pen to paper the development process that we as disciples of Jesus all go through when we leave an old life, align with Jesus, and seek to bear his name and bear truth of who he is to the rest of the world, whether it be by the trust we have in his person, the way we love, the way we act. And so he kind of, if I were to take his process and show it to you in graph form, it would look like this. And it starts with a knowledge of God's unconditional love being completely different than our love here in a sinful world where we are bound by limits and capacity and a litany of conditions. And he says that, Peter says, hey, we have to understand that God's unconditional love is so starkly different than ours that it should all inspire us to apply self-control. And in that self-control, as we develop a walk with the Lord, it should lead to action from our lives. It should lead to us acting in love just like Jesus did. This is important because the knowledge that he is speaking of that we talked about last week is about experience. It's different than, than the knowledge that we attain in his system coming from a Jewish background. He was taught, as so did every Hebrew, were taught that what they could consume actually determined their value. And Peter, Peter is saying, no, God saw you as valuable because every single person was created in His image already. And so it's not about what we attain that makes us valuable. It doesn't determine that. It's loving the one who stepped out of heaven and stepped into the mire with us and we were so valuable that He would do so. And walking out unconditional love just like He walked in unconditional love for us. Peter's talking about an action that the Bible refers to here that has far more to do with who we are than what we do. In 2 Peter 1, he said it like this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and add to your self-control, perseverance. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. None of us desire, as a disciple of Jesus, to be ineffective or unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he uses a term here that's really important, and it makes a distinction in the way that we act. He's talking less about doing and far more about being, so he uses the word perseverance. He says, add to your self-control perseverance, because perseverance is a mindset. It is a determination that informs our endurance and how we respond to things. It's a, it's a decision in the mind or the spirit or the will when we face trial to not quit, to not give up, to see it to completion and for us to come out on the other side. In sports, we use that term all the time. We call it a mental toughness because perseverance is all about refining and redefining, reshaping. The psalmist said it in chapter 66 of the Psalms. He said, you have tried us, O God. You've refined us as silver is refined. A precious metal is refined multiple times with fire. Fire is applied to that precious metal that's taken from the earth with all of its impurities. And when it's melted down, less impurities exist when it's reformed. In fact, the purification process, we know, takes seven different times of melting down and coming back. 
he says that you're going to go through the same process because in order to reflect accurately this unconditional love of Jesus, there's a lot of impurities that have to be refined from who you are because you come from a sinful, selfish state. That's who you were. So perseverance is all about becoming. It's much like a civilian who decides to enlist in the armed forces. A civilian who perseveres through basic training comes out on the other side, a soldier. It's much like a med student who decides they want to study medicine. Once they persevere through medical school and training, they become doctors. Persevering through hard training and redefining the person around the ideals that they've signed up for. So if we say that we, we're a Christian and we want to be identified with Christ, that means that we have to go through the painful process of being refined so that we bear more of His image and less of our old sinful and selfish state that existed before. It's not about perfection, but it is about development. It's removing old habits and replacing them with new ones based on a new way of thinking and a new way of life. Much like Paul said in Romans 12 that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind and seeing things from God's perspective, it changes the way we approach life. It's much like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 that, behold, all things have become new, that our old life is gone and everything about us is new in Christ Jesus. Let me, let me give you an example of what Peter is trying to say as he gives us perseverance. An English lesson. In this sentence, I want you to tell me what the verb is. Right there in the sanctity of your own home, it's rhetorical, I'm on TV. I am tired. What is the verb? If you said am, you'd, you'd be right. Because am is the action in this sentence. But it isn't the action of doing anything. It's more a state of being. It's, it's defining what the noun is feeling. That I am am tired, much like God gave us this very same title when he introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, and Moses said, who do I say has sent me as you're sending me back into Egypt to free your people? He said, you tell them that I am has sent you, because my unconditional love and my acts of unconditional love flow out of my very being. It's who I am. Every preschool parent can tell when their child is tired. And it's not, it's not because uh, it's routine and it's nap time. That may be true, but every child that is a preschooler that needs a nap will act tired because they are tired, and every parent knows that. They know the signs and the things that they do when they start to get tired, and so they can tell that their actions are being informed by their person. Say it differently, our allegiance informs my actions. Now, 1 John 4 says that if you say you love, but you don't know Jesus, you're not aligned or have an allegiance to Jesus, then you're a liar. He's saying you may be able to act good by your own definition, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are acting truly loving because I myself am loved. John, 1 John 4 says that he, Jesus, is love. And so there are people who may be able to act uh, in good form or act Christian, but they may not themselves actually be Christian. Billy Graham 
was famous for saying that many people today who are attending churches all over are actually not disciples of Christ, and they will suffer the, the, in the end eternity in hell, unfortunately. But those who are aligned with Jesus, those who are in fact His, the world should expect from them because of their state, because of their being, that their actions reflect the very person of Jesus. Those who are acting, those who Jesus challenged in the legal system, the experts of the law, the Pharisees, when they would continually try to ensnare him, he spoke of them like this. He called them false disciples. They're not true disciples. They're simply acting religious. They're not truly a people who have a heart that is given to the Lord. And he gave us this distinction between a true and a false disciple in Matthew 7, 21. And might what be what possibly is the scariest verse for anyone who's attended church their whole life in the Bible. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will, who acts on the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? And it says, Then I will say to them plainly, Depart from me, I never knew you. This is, this is scary, but he says plainly here, these are the words of Jesus, that he who is mine will do the will of my Father. They will act in a way that aligns and is consistent with what my Father in heaven wants. So let me read from 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, our verses for today, and I just want to unpack them for a minute. In verse 15, Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, first of all, he says, He who called you. In Ephesians 4, it says that he himself called some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And he goes on to say in the very next verse that he did so to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. When you take what Paul said there in Ephesians and you couple it with the parallel passage that he has in 1 Corinthians 12 and he talks about the theology of the body, he said that, that an eye should never look at the foot and say, I have no need of you. Or he, he likens the body of Christ to the physical human body. He says there are feet and those feet are just as valuable as the hands that exist in the body. Now, they're equally valuable, but they have different purposes. The hand is, does not have the same purpose as the foot, though it has the same value. And he goes on to unpack that the foot should never look at the hand and say, I have no need of you. And he also says there's no such thing as a foot hand. So for anyone who, let me just make it as simple as I can, Anyone who has been made to work and purpose in a certain way, you can't expect or be expected to act in a way that you were never designed by God to do. So a, a foot is designed that we would stand on it and they would move us forward. A hand is designed to lift and be extended. If God has made you a little bit more pastoral, a little more shepherd-like, let's say that he's given you an extra measure of empathy within himself, and you come across a time where someone is hurting and they're mournful. 
you may not know in your empathy exactly what to say, but there's this natural intention within you that desires to hug them. Because God has designed you that way. He's designed you to be someone who aligns with them empathetically and desires to hug them. So here's what God expects of you. The action He expects of you is this. Hug them. In love and the empathy that He has given you, out of conviction based on the way that He has designed you, He's asking you to, to act as He has designed you to, as He shaped you to. He doesn't ask you to be something you're not. He doesn't ask you to be all things. He's asking you to be exactly who He's made you to be. And in this passage, he says, be holy because I am holy. Here, Peter is referring to their very educational system. He's going back to a place in the law. In the law, it is stated this very statement repeatedly, whether it be in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. This passage is repeated over and over again through the law. But it was interpreted by the experts of the law that this was an act of doing. It said that you had to perform certain acts in order to aspire or to attain the love and favor of God. And if you didn't do these things, then you were guilty of the law, and that meant punishment. In fact, the law said if you were guilty of any one thing in the law, you were guilty of the entire thing. So the people walked around with this heaviness about how to act holy. But this passage doesn't say act holy. It says be holy, not do holy. And it's because Jesus has imputed his righteousness on us, Ephesians says. It says that he literally stepped in. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that it's because of, because of that sin that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God was eternal life through his son, Jesus. So what this means is simply this. If we were in the courtroom of God right now and... I am standing before God, the Father, waiting for sentencing. It's as if I did nothing to make him do it. I didn't do anything to earn him stepping in. But Jesus steps in before me just as the Father's about to sentence me to hell and separation from him for all time. And Jesus steps in in front of me and takes my punishment for me. And he says, no, this one is with me. He's with me. He's mine. He's ours. And then the Father, when looking in my direction, has to either look directly through His Son to see me or to peer around Him to see me. It's as if I took this stand and I held it up in front of the camera right now, you would have to look through it or peer around it to see me. That He literally stood in my place as a substitute. And there was nothing that I could do that earned it. It was just His love for me that made me victorious over what I deserved, my punishment and death. And this is the thing that Peter's trying to get across to all those who were in Christ. He was a fisherman. He was not, in their society, someone who was selected for the, as the best of the best to be an expert in the law. Jesus came and found someone who's normal amongst us, and he made him victorious. And then he asked him to let other people know just how victorious they were. He was one who had earned the punishment or sentencing of God, but Jesus stepped in front because he loved him. And too often today in legalistic societies like the history that Peter's coming from or some of the, some of the legalistic systems that we have pervaded in discipleship in the Western culture, 
We tell people that you earn the favor of God by the way that you act, but that is not at all biblical. See, that's approaching God for victory. That denies the very illustration that I just gave in the example of Jesus stepping in. That denies that by His stepping in and offering us a free gift of salvation, that we are all, it denies that we're already victorious because of what He did. And so we approach life, God, and other people from a place of victory, not for victory. And be holy, this demand right here, as I am holy, is not a call that we would do more or try harder. It's a demand that we be as advertised. That we are responsible for those who bear His name to reflect the love, traits, and character of Jesus as the world should expect from us. We are not holy in our natural state. Our flesh is weak, it is selfish, it is sinful. Paul told us that in Galatians. It needs to be removed. And we only, we only see it removed through refining and by our own submission to the process and submission to His Spirit. My old flesh desires to be liked. It desires to fit in. But holiness calls for the opposite. It calls for me to stand out, to be separate, to swim against the culture, counter to culture, and to love in a way that I, I in my own limited sinful capacity, my own selfishness, I don't have an ability to. It is... Allowing myself in submission to Jesus because I know His ways are best for me, even if they're difficult. It's submitting myself to His Spirit and allowing Him to rough, to smooth out those rough edges that existed in who I am and go through the experience and the struggle to polish and refine so that my reflection looks more like him. And when people look at me, they see more his son Jesus, just like when the father looks in my direction, he sees his son and has to look through him or peer around him, versus, versus the people of the world who don't know his unconditional love. And maybe they've, they've yet to experience it. They see his son and they see an unconditional love that exceeds my capacity because I am his and I'm acting out of my being. We're not to try harder by conforming our flesh. We're to trust more by yielding to His Spirit and persevere through the refinement that He takes us through. That refining process of making us look more like Him because we already have His favor and He loves us. And He desires for those people that don't know Him to know that He loves them as well. And they're only going to know that if the people who wear His name actually live and love like Him. When I see a soldier, I don't see perfection. That's not expected. I just see someone that is clearly different than a civilian. They're, they may have been a civilian at one point, but they're no longer that person. After training and indoctrination, they've become something else. They've become a soldier. They just are that thing. Change of their core so that their identity informs their actions. When people hear that we are Christian, they should expect to see a person that embodies and acts upon the very ideals of Jesus. A soldier will serve their country out of duty. A Christian, a Christian is called to worship their Lord out of gratitude and walking as you've been called in the shape that He has given you. Let me give you a perfect example. In John 14, 6, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. 
that that salvation was a free gift, that we don't get to the Father except through Jesus. But His very, his very persona, his, his own defining trait was truth. Jesus said, I am truth. Well, if that is true, then we are not an accurate representation of Jesus when we as Christians are not being truthful or honest. When we lie, we don't look like Jesus or reflect His image, who He is, the very person, truth, to the rest of the world when we don't also engage in the truth. When we engage in lying and we're not being truthful or honest, we look more like the enemy. We look more like the one the Bible calls the father of all lies. And we become ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the truth that Jesus is truth and loves us and it's asked us to reflect Him as ambassadors to the rest of the world, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, we're emissaries of His name. The world should expect that if Jesus is truth, that His people will be truthful, that we'll tell the truth because we understand who He is, and out of understanding that, we are honest with the world. We're not liars. We may have once been liars because we were far more like the father of all lies, but today, because of the change that we've been through and because of the unconditional love of Jesus and Him stepping in for us, we have become bearers of the truth because we are bearers of Jesus and His very image. So in conclusion, I want to just ask this question. This morning, are your actions consistent with who you say you are? We have to start here with being, with our very being. If you say that you're a Christian, do your decisions, your ideals, your traits reflect the traits, ideals, and decisions of Jesus himself? Are you being holy because he is holy? Are you as advertised? It's not something you do, it's something you are. And so you are you being honest? Are you being advertised as advertised? This is not something you can put on by trying harder. It's something that's refined in you and developed in you by trusting Him more. And so the impurities that were once within you get removed. It reshapes us. As the fire, we reflect, after the fire, we, we reflect more of who He actually is. We reflect more of who He accurately is and less our old image when we go through the refining process of having those impurities burned away. So that when people do look in our direction, just like the Father looks in ours, in that courtroom of life, and He mostly sees His Son who stepped in for us, people mostly see His Son when they look in our direction because He's stepping in right now for them through our lives to love them like He would. So today, before I pray, I want to ask you to consider a few things. Like, we're talking about action, we're talking about being, we're talking about perseverance, what are some of the actions we should take? Number one, I want you to consider something. I want you to contemplate. Do you truly trust that His ways are best for you? Do your decisions in life reflect that? Like that you know that His ways are better. Do you truly trust that? Only you can answer that for yourself. Number two, are are you accurately bearing the image of Jesus? Is your life reflecting the Jesus we read of in Scripture? 
It's, it's rather simple. It's not, not the Jesus that we interpret or how you may have a tendency in seeking the path of least resistance, how you may couch Jesus to make it more easily digestible to fit your lifestyle. People say this a lot, and I'm going to throw it out. It's not, it's not like you saying, this is my truth. Okay, that doesn't exist. Either it's true or it isn't. Either he is complete truth or he is not. So you can't try to grave in or reshape him in your image and, and feel better about yourself. You, you can't do that. We are to be transformed by His image. It is not the other way around. We are graven and reshaped in His. So we're not going to compromise. The question is, are you accurately bearing the image of Jesus? And is your life reflecting the Jesus that we read of in Scripture? Your life living unconditional love. Thirdly, i got to say this. This is difficult. It's hard. It is going to take others' help to walk it out accountably. As much as your sin affects others, and we've all learned that, when you sin, other people get hurt. Well, you're becoming like Jesus is best produced within you in the confines of a refining community, in honesty and love. So I'm going to ask this question, who has license to speak into your life? Who do you know loves you because they are honest with you? And like the psalmist said, you know that the wounds of a friend are far better than the flattery or deceit of the enemy. They're not just blowing sunshine up your skirt. They're being honest with where, places where you're missing it. And they're being honest about the inconsistencies they see in your life when you say, I bear Jesus, but I don't act or love like him. Who are you allowing to speak into you so that you can be more consistent and accurately portraying Jesus? And lastly, if today you need prayer, I want to ask, can I pray for you? Can we pray for you? Email us at prayer at thefellowship.cc. We'd love to encourage you and lay whatever it is that you're struggling with because many people right now are struggling. We found it an honor and a privilege to take your struggle and put that before the Lord and intercede on your behalf. And we'd love the opportunity to minister to you further if you just allow us to. So email us. We'd love to pray for you. If you're investigating what it means to take the next step to Jesus, we'd love to tell you about that as well. This morning, God has called for His church to persevere. And right now, we sit in a time where the church cannot give up, it cannot quit, it has to continue to trust that Jesus is with us in this storm, and He will carry us through. But it is okay for the, the world around us to expect, when we say we wear His name, for our actions to reflect that we trust Him, for our actions to be consistent with that very name of Jesus. So I want to pray today in Jesus' name as the band is coming back. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he stepped in and took what we deserve so that we could have life. And God, you have left us as your ambassadors to the world. You desire that we would reflect that kind of love to a world that needs hope and still hurting and struggling. And God, they're, they're dying. I pray that today, we would be a people that would not only trust you and in gratitude thank you for the love that you gave us and stepping in for us, but in love, we would step in for them. I pray our actions are informed by our very being, and we thank you that that being is in Jesus' name. Amen.